What do you want? You know, crooked man. Where, where does all this come together? Um, this this whole thing, I, I, I love doing, you know, I'm one of these, because I'm a people person, I love biographies and what we've been doing in this series of uh, God out of the box, seeing how God oftentimes uh, doesn't fit in the nice little comfortable box that we would like him to, at least sometimes. And uh, we've been seeing how he has done that, done some very different things with different people. And I enjoy it because I love reading about people and, and some of these people, of course, I'm familiar with because I've read the Bible a few times, but, but I never get tired of reading some of these uh, some of these historical accounts of uh, some of these people. And this is one that, that uh, is a guy that has had great influence upon us. And I don't know if everybody knows that. Uh, I'm pretty sure everybody doesn't know that. Saul of Tarsus becomes the great Apostle Paul. Um, and if you've ever wondered where did Paul come from or St. Paul or, or, or you know, Paul the Apostle or whatever, um, we're going to show you this morning. And I'll tell you, he is, uh, I want you to watch this, uh, uh, this clip because uh, much like the man you're going to see in the uh, film clip, he's a tough guy. He's a bad guy. This comes from the movie, by the way, one of the two best Kevin Costner movies ever made. This one's open range, in case you're wondering, the other one is uh, Tin Cup. But um, <laughs> just a little opinion. Uh, um, not that you, you came for that, but this comes from the movie Open Range. He's, he's, he's a cowboy, and, uh, and, I'll, uh, and I really, I do love this movie, but it, it just really illustrates the kind of person that he is and some of the struggles that are going on. And, and I think in some ways, maybe a, a 1800s version, possibly, of, of what might have been Saul of Tarsus. Take a look. Every now and then, I almost get through a day without thinking about who I am and what I've done. I like this story, this, this particular part of the Bible about this guy because, you know, we can talk about sin and we can talk about little things like lying and stealing and cheating on your income tax and adultery. I don't think any of those things are little, just for the record. But when we start talking about murderer, a murderer, it's a, it kind of takes on a whole different... Um, tone. And that's what, we, that's what we're dealing with. Uh, with Saul of Tarsus, later to be named St. Paul, and later, of course, called St. Paul. We're going to pick this story up in Acts chapter 7 because we are introduced to this, this man named Saul or Paul right there. Interesting story in Acts chapter 7, and you can read about it. And when you go home in Acts chapter 7, we have the first martyr in the scriptures, uh, first martyr for Christ. His name was Stephen. I think a lot of Stephen. My, we named our daughter after Stephen, Stephanie, and uh, the female version of that. And uh, he, was, he was a great man, and he was being stoned for his faith which is the way they martyred people back then and, and executed them. And, uh, and, and here's what happens. Uh, when they had, verse 58, Psalm, excuse me, Acts 7, verse 58, just follow along here. When they had driven him out of the city, speaking of Stephen, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. He's already into this thing. He's kind of like Kevin Costner in the movie. At a, as a young man, a part of killing somebody because of their faith. 
They went on stoning Stephen as he called the as he called to the Lord, and he said, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." Then, falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, "Lord, do not hold this sin against them." Having said this, he fell asleep, which is the uh, the writer's words for he died. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. I've often wondered, it'd be a great novel to be written. How many times those words and what's, what, what Saul witnessed must have, have run over and over and over again on his, in his mind on those, those long, long nights sometimes, thinking about Stephen and his being martyred and, and the words that he said. God, don't hold this against them. I mean, that had to have an impact. I've often wondered what went on inside the mind of this man named Saul, later on named Paul. God felt like he needed a name change. and Probably it was a good idea, huh? Um, how many times that must have really had an impact on him. But we see early on, as a young man, this guy's a bad guy. He's not a good guy. Now I want to skip ahead to, to the, later on in the book of Acts. We're going to look in chapter 9 now. I'm just going to just follow along here on the, on the screen with me. And uh, we're going to see that. And by the way, there's another ver- version of Paul's own story that he gives later on in Acts chapter 22. And I put that in, uh, you can just go to afterthoughts, or excuse me, action steps, in the, on the website, and I put that there with a few comments about it if you want to look at it later. But just pick it up in Acts chapter, um, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, now we come back to Saul. Saul was uttering threats. He's a Pharisee now. Big, big, big dog. Big time. Big time in the Hebrew culture at this time. Saul was uttering threats with every breath. He was eager to destroy the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. That's what they called it. He found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now, what's interesting here is, uh, first of all, that's the only time we ever see the Bible refer to, quote-unquote, the church as the way. And I I don't... think it's significant necessarily. Uh, there have been many churches who've started, which is fine. They can call themselves whatever they want to call them. They call themselves the way. Um, there have been, there's even been a few cultish type things that have called themselves that based upon this. So I don't think you can get read into that too much. But what I do want you to see is that this, this thing called the church, this thing has started in Acts chapter 2, just before this, or quite a bit before this. So we've got this new thing going on. Most of the converts are coming out of Judaism. Jesus was a Jew. You know, the, the apostle here, or, king, or Saul in this case, is uh, not king. King Saul was in the Old Testament. But Saul here is, uh, is, is, a, is, is, a, is a Jew. So a lot of Jewish people are converting to becoming followers of Christ. Saul doesn't like it. He's not happy about that because he's a zealous Jewish boy or man at this point. So he's, he's going to do what he does best. He's going to go out and kill him. You know, and, and people are helping him do that. So he wanted to bring them both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains there in verse two. Now look to verse three and see what he says. As he, Paul, uh, Saul, was nearing Damascus on this mission, a brilliant light from heaven suddenly beamed down upon him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he's got this light. He's blinding him, and all of a sudden he's hearing, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is called getting your attention, okay? And God's good at that. And he knew exactly, in a personal way, what Saul needed. 
Verse 5, this is a significant statement. Who are you, sir? Now, an interesting point here, the word sir is curios, and in and, and, and most places that's translated Lord. And in this particular case, this is the New Living Translation, which I like a lot. No translation is perfect. Um, I, I, I would appreciate it more, and I have it in it. He's really saying, sir, he's really saying Lord. Who are you, Lord? That's, the, that's how the word's truly translated. Who are you, sir? Which is more of a, um, you know, kind of leaving the God thing out of it. I think at this point in time, he knows whoever that light is, it's God. And, he, and he's Lord. He says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Don't you know, at that particular time, he had to stop and just say, holy crap. <laughs> I mean, he did. You know, he did. <laughs> I am in deep doo-doo, all right? I mean, it's just, it's, it, it, this is, this is tough. And he's thinking, oh my gosh. So, so I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you're to do. The men with Saul stood speechless with surprise for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. As Saul picked himself up off, up off the ground, he found that he was blind. So his companions led him to, by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and all the time he went without food and without water. You know, that's, that's got to be a humbling thing. Here's a strong leader, self-sufficient kind of guy. You know, take the bull by the horn. Here we go, baby. Get out of my way. Here I come. Boom. All of a sudden, he's blind. He's got two guys leading him around. And he's just, just basically a, a blubbering person at this point. <laughs> what happened? This guy's been humbled by the Almighty God who knew exactly what Saul needed to come to an understanding of who Jesus was. Verse 10, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you arrive, ask for Saul of Tarsus. He, this is so cool. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision, uh, excuse me, I have shown him a vision for a man named Ananias coming in, laying his hands on him so that he can, so that he can see again. Watch this. <laughs> but Lord, I can hear this conversation. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard about the terrible things about this man that he's done to believers in Jerusalem. How we hear that he is, you know, and, and we hear that he's authorized by, by the leading priest to arrest every believer in Damascus. But the Lord said, go and do what I say, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. That's me. And to the kings. Leaders. Saul, I'm not that, but, but I'm not a king, but he's, it, this is for those of us who are not of Hebrew heritage Saul was chosen by God to really take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. I mean, that was what Paul, what Paul was, the apostle to the Gentiles, basically. Well, if you've ever thought about that, that's kind of neat. Anyway, as well as to the people of Israel. He's not being, you know, exclusive here. And I will show, I will show him how much he must suffer for me. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has, spent, has uh, sent me so that you may get your sight back and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He regained his sight. Then he got up 
and he was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and was strengthened. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and he immediately, get this, immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. Isn't that incredible? I mean, does God just know what it takes, or what? Just an amazing story. Um, and then we have, of course, the Apostle Paul, who wrote by and far and large, at least more than half of the New Testament. All these letters and so forth that it is. He was starting churches and, and uh, being, a, being a messenger to the Gentiles, to kings, as well as to Israel. All right, here's what I want to do. I got six bullet points here. Very simple, some of them I'll dwell on for a moment or two, some I'll just blow through very quickly. Six bullet points on, 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 that are going to give you an example of how God deals with us personally based upon this historic account of Saul, now Paul. Very simple things. I think most, you know, you can think about them. First one is this. No one is ever beyond hope. No one is ever beyond hope. You ever feel that way? You know, you're not even laying in the woods telling your friend how many people you've killed, as we saw in the movie clip, but you thought, I'm, I'm, I'm a bad, I've done some bad things. Well, yes, you have. And so have we all. We're going to look at that again in detail in a moment. We've all known people, or we've thought about people who were just, we thought they were just beyond hope. Um, we've often thought, some of us, maybe not often, but a few times, I don't know if there's any hope for me or not. Well, the next time, you, next time that happens, think about Saul of Tarsus. No one, I love that, no one is ever beyond hope. Number two, you're a new person if you're a follower of Christ. You're a new person if you're a follower of Christ. Um, I want to deal with something real quick. And, and then I could deal with this the whole time, and I'm not going to. Some, some, many of us here, I, I'm one, have never had a, what I would call, or what some people call, a Damascus Road experience. Now you know what that is. You know, this was, I like to call this the original come to Jesus meeting, um, because it was. And, uh, uh, but many of us have never had a, a dramatic come to Jesus meeting or a Damascus Road experience. So what are we, second class? I mean, I, I, I'm one, I'm, I'm like that. I, I don't, I honestly, this is going to be heresy to some of you. Um, some of you, some of you conservative wackos, you're going to not like this, but, but, uh, um, <laughs> but I love you and you know it. I can't, I, I can't tell you exactly when I came to know Christ. You know, and some of you would say, well, that, there are people, just truly, for those of you who don't know, there are people who would say, well, then you don't know, you're not, you're not a Christian if you can't tell me the name and the date, which is just, that's trash. I mean, you can't. Um, I can't tell you exactly. I, I can tell you at eight years old, I, I, uh, I was at a thing and, and, and I kind of, did something where I prayed with him. I said, I want, I want, I want Jesus into my life. And, but then I went through another thing, you know, I, you know, I went through teenage years and then I can tell you at 18, I really had a more of a dramatic thing that I really decided to just really give my life to Christ. Now, did it happen at eight? Did it happen at 18? I don't know. It happened somewhere in between there. And you know what? It doesn't really matter. I've had people tell me that all the time. You know, I, I really can't tell you when I really decided to give my life to Christ. C.S. Lewis couldn't do that. You've heard me tell the story. C.S. Lewis says, I got in this motorcycle sidecar here. I ended up here. And by the time I got to point B, I, I, had, I had trusted Jesus. I don't know how that happened. So don't get too hung up on that. This was how God dealt with 
with Saul of Tarsus. Some people here can give us some, some pretty incredible stories about how, wow, I, I came to Christ and it was this dramatic way. That's terrific. But we're all individuals. God knows what it takes for all of us. And some of us have to process things for a little while. I have a friend who says, you know, evolution doesn't have to be necessarily revolution. And I think that there's, there's true. We can kind of evolve into that. Hope that's not too dirty of a word for you. Um, or, 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 or in some cases, it's just boom. There I am. You know, God knows what it takes for each one of us. Don't get hung up on the method, okay? What's more important is the message of where you put your trust in Christ. And, and to think that, you know, it's got to come down and to just one particular time. It does for some people, but not everybody. So, so be careful with that. When you trust Christ, you're a new person. The Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, wrote these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone. A new life has begun. You're a new person. And that's so great when you become a follower of Christ. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean some of the residue of the old person is not going to crop up every now and then, because it is and will. Billy Graham said this, being a Christian is more than just an instantaneous conversion. It's like, a, it's like a daily process whereby you grow to be more and more like Christ. I really like that. It's not an instantaneous conversion. It's more than that, he says. It's where you grow to be more and more like Christ. So that's the second thought I want you to have. Yeah, no one is ever beyond hope, and you're a new person when you trust Christ. Third bullet point I want to give you, this is overstatement of the obvious, but I'm going to say it again. God can change people. God can change people. And you know what? It's, again, many times it's a process. Many times it's, it's that one Damascus road, come to Jesus' experience as it was for, for Saul. But sometimes it takes time. But habitual, destructive behavior patterns that test our patience, that love and acceptance of people, they can be changed. Some of those habitual, destructive behavior patterns in, in, in yourself they can be changed. God can still do that. So don't, you know, God changes hard-shelled, hard-hearted Pharisee. He can change me and he can change you. And, uh, and you know, that's, that's the issue here that's important. Let me, I, I, I got to read this to you. I'm going to take a minute here to do this. Uh, in our men's study, our men's study group that we have on Tuesday night, and by the way, um, as Henry said, just, for those guys who are here, you don't have to come upstairs and I just kind of walk around the sidewalk and you'll come to backstage and we're going to meet there. Uh, Thursday night, but we've been doing this book called Blue Like Jazz, and I sent out a reminder this week because it's usually every it's the second and fourth Thursdays. I sent out a reminder, an email to all the guys that have been coming, just to say, hey, we had an extra week, so it's not that a lot of them were thought thought it was this week, but I said it's the second and fourth Thursdays, not every other week. So I sent them a reminder, and I sent them this note, uh, you know, hey guys, just want to make sure you know this, and I said we're going to be, di-. and I, I, I whenever I do, I take a little quote out of the book, the, the, the part that we're going to be discussing, and I said we're going to be discussing among other things phrases like, and this is a phrase from the book, Blue Like Jazz. The writer says, I tried to go one week without thinking a negative thought about another human being, and I couldn't do it. And I, my, I put a comment, what the hell was he thinking? And, and um, sorry. <laughs> and, uh, and then I said, I'll see you next uh, Thursday. And then I said, one more reminder. I just thought, this, this, this doesn't have nothing to do with the message, but I'll just tell you this anyway. One more reminder. One more reminder, the Yankees begin their next world championship baseball season tonight at 10 p.m. I just thought I'd throw that in. So, um, because we're 
we're guys and we can talk baseball and God at the same time, okay? So, um, so anyway, I got, I got a note back from, my, from one of the guys. He says, Thank, this was like, this was, I just sent this out on Monday. This, I got it back on April the 5th. I got this. I'm not going to say who. I, want, I didn't get his permission, so I don't want to embarrass him. Um, I got a note back. Hey, thanks for the reminder, Rich. That phrase caught my eye as I read the book on the Newark Airport tarmac, tarmac as well, along with 120 of my fellow passengers. I couldn't make it off the plane without breaking the negative thought rule. I'll keep trying. I downloaded that at an airport in Dayton, Ohio. I saw where I was this week for a couple of days. I downloaded that, and then I'm on the plane, and I'm answering my emails, and you're going to send them out later. I'm on the plane answering my emails, and I put, I know what you mean. I'm sitting on a cattle car, I mean airplane right now, with some jerk who thinks his seat should be part of my lap. Um, <laughs> dang it, there I go again. So, you know, <laughs> my, my point in giving you that little exchange, I think most of us can relate a little bit in one way or another to that. My point in all that is this, and I don't want you, I don't want you to miss this point. God can even begin to change us when we get into those kinds of destructive, tough patterns. And it, it, sometimes you amaze yourself. And sometimes you go through, and I've, I've given you a failure here, but there are other times when, when you do say and think the right thing, and you're like, wow, that's, that's a God thing, and it is a God thing. God can change people, and you're people, right? Fourth thing, God acts while we pray. I love this. I love this. I don't know if you ever thought about, why, why do we pray? Let me show you. Look at, just, I'll show you. I got it for you. Look just back in, in, in verse 11, and we read them, but I'll look at them again. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you arrive, that's not the same Judas, by the way. Uh, when you arrive, ask for Saul of Tarsus. Watch this. He's praying to me right now. <laughs> I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying his in. In other words, God is answering Saul's prayer at the very moment that Saul's praying. Only, you know, here's God, or here's Paul. Saul saying, oh God, help me, help me. And Saul says, and here's God saying, I'm hearing you. Hey, I want you to go over here and see him. Isn't that great? I mean, I just think that's so cool. When we talk about prayer, does prayer work? It does work. And this, you know, there's some different things going on here with some visions, and we don't always have those in the age in which we live. But still, this is, this is showing God acts while we pray. Pray. That's my point. Don't be afraid to pray, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. God's listening. Fifth thing, you're never too bad, never too late to come to God. Or... To come back to God. So many times I've had people say, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. So I don't care. God does. And he's right there. He's right here and he's ready, there. He's ready right now. You're never too bad and you're, it's never too late to come to God. Last thing. It still comes down to grace. That's why we call it the grace of God in my life and in your life because I need it and you need it and we all need it. It's God's grace. I want to show you one last thing. Again, the writings of the Apostle Paul. Several years later, writing to a church in, 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 in Corinth, what I'm doing on Sunday nights and it's in Greece, modern day Greece and it's in this little isthmus and it's quite a church and, and they had a lot of a uh, lot of um, a lot of issues. A lot of these people were, were new to, to being a follower of Christ. 
And I want to read this to you, and you can follow along with me, because this, this, this is the whole thing about grace. And I just want to close with this and, and, and just get you to think about this for a moment. Here's, here's the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul, writing. And he said, look what he says. Don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Now keep, keep reading. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who are idol worshipers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusers, and swindlers, none of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. Watch this. 11. There was a time when some of you were just like that. But now, but now, Your sins have been washed away, and you have been set apart for God. You have been made right with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God have done for you. We're not going to do this. A friend of mine did it. But if I were to ask everyone here that's ever been a part of any one of those sins that he lists up there in verses uh, 9 and 10, And keep in mind, when Jesus defined sins, it wasn't just the action, it was also the thought. So if I were to ask everybody here who'd ever been a part of any, just one of those, not all of them, just one of them, either in thought or in action, I'll tell you what would happen. If I said, everybody stand up has been a part of that in thought or in action, here's what's going to happen. Every one of you would would stand up. And And then I would say, and I will say this, just look around. Just look around, look around, look around, look where you look, 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 look around you, look behind you, look in front of you. That's all of us. Look up here. That's all of us. It's me. It's you. Somewhere in there. Maybe a couple of them in there. In thought or in action. We're there. And what does he say? But now your sins have been washed away and you've been set apart for God. It's about grace and it's God's grace. That's what it means when we come to Christ. Doesn't mean we're perfect or we become perfect. But we become forgiven. And we're set on a different road and we have a different way and we have a different 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 thought life. Still struggle with some things at different times, sometimes more than others. But we're new creatures, we're new people. And we have a whole new mode of operandus. Okay? It's being a follower of Christ. And that and I want to pray, but that, folks, is what it means when we come to Jesus. You know, that's what it means. We trust Christ with who we are and what we are and thank him for his forgiveness. That's why we, of all people, of all people, those of us who are followers of Christ, should be the most thankful people on the face of the earth. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful. We are grateful as we look at this uh, from the scriptures and and see what is here and and see what you have done and how you worked in Saul of Tarsus' life and how that just dramatically changed him, dramatically changed history. And you will still work dramatically in our lives. We thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus and that he came and, and lived and suffered and died and went to the tomb and rose again to give us forgiveness, eternal life, and abundant life. We thank you for that, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.